0: Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington D.C. and you're listening to Meet Athlete Radio.
1: Doug, I had a light bulb flash moment of, of insight and inspiration, and I'm going to join you in your 2.018 miles per day Excellent. December running challenge. I love
2: it. Yes. What, uh, what was the light bulb moment?
1: So. It came sort of, uh, I guess, inauspiciously, might be the right word. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> ominously, I don't know. My car broke down. I was driving, I had my, my mom and my daughter with me, and uh, the accelerator just stopped working in the car. It just, it just The battery was still on. <laughs> I had plenty of gas. It just stopped doing anything, as if were you, you were mid, out of gas. Like in the road? Yeah. I was driving in the road on know. one of these mountainous roads near my house that I always say prevents me from running. <laughs> so I so I pulled the car over as fast as I could onto a side street with no gas, um, and then I said, "Okay, let's let's walk home because we were only about uh, a third of a mile, from, maybe half a mile from home." Okay, I said, "Okay, let's start walking." And my mom and my mom said, "No, nope, we're not doing that because uh, it's too. We don't want to run on these streets or walk on these streets with a, with a child. It's just not not good." So I said, "Okay, well I'll just run home because I wanted to be quick and get our other car and come back and pick them up and did all that." Uh, and as i was running home i was like this isn't that bad like i could totally run on these streets it, it's not it's it's not ideal but i was kind of thinking like instant death like if you run on these streets <laughs> you're gonna get hit by a car right away and it's not that like if i were to go deep into it and try and stay on the same road for a mile then i'd run into problems but i could i can run for a third of a mile a quarter of a mile towards an area that is again not a nice running road but a little more open Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's been a story in my head that I can't, that I can't run. Wow, that took, that's it took a car
2: breakdown to to make it, make me realize it. Sometimes it's those those random things. That yes, it is. Changing as, your life as if man. the universe
1: was sending me a message. <laughs> You're not into that type of stuff, are you, Doug? I guess we haven't talked about this too much.
2: Oh, I totally believe in the <laughs> universe. Yeah. Okay.
1: All right. Well, I'm, I'm not. I'm not questioning those who do. Sometimes I I get in in modes where I where I do like to think about that stuff.
2: You know, people say that a lot around what? Asheville. I guess I'd never really heard that too much. Oh, DC. the universe. The, the universe with yeah. a capital U. Yeah. Everyone talks about the universe. <laughs> do you, yeah. Do you? Have you noticed
0: do. that? I I
1: don't know. I mean, I I was sort of. I think I I was exposed that that kind of new age world before I lived here
2: yeah well I mean you know I, of course probably everybody in the vegan community has been exposed to that but uh right yeah, but, you know, I don't know. I just, like, for, for some reason, when we moved here. Maybe it was the people we were hanging out with or something. We are just talking about the power of the universe a lot.
1: <laughs> <And> <laughs> I think and, it's uh, just a way to have a conversation about deeper things without saying the word God, so you don't right. offend yeah, the wrong person. Because in, yeah. in, in, actual is so diverse circles, so uh-huh. universe is safe enough. Although, I guess by saying universe, you might offend uh, the people who like to say God. So. Wow.
2: Well. But I, you, you know I, you gotta believe in the power of the universe and i think the universe was was, was do you gotta, to you gotta believe
1: in that why do you gotta believe in that
2: <laughs> you know because because this is a perfect example okay okay all right you no. just gotta you gotta
1: <laughs> i'm not I, actually i'm not trying to make total fun here like I, I do kind of i i try to think about deeper things and i, I wonder mm-hmm. about that stuff so i'm i'm just it's just fun but anyway so that is all good i'm on board with the challenge uh, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit nervous about my ability to complete it. Not because I can't run 2.018 miles, although I'm not going to pretend that that's not, not a substantial amount to run, right? If you haven't been running, that's, yeah, that's solid. absolutely. So, um, I think I can handle that. I'm not, not concerned about that, but I, when we travel, we're going to be traveling in to Europe in mid-December through the end of the month. And, uh, I just, I'm having trouble visualizing myself like on the day we get in to Madrid, getting a run-in, because then we got to get on a train, and then we got to go. So, I just don't see how it's going to happen. Maybe right. i got to pass because of the time zone change or something.
2: I mean, you know, I, I think that with any of those things, you know, I mean, of course you want to be as strict as possible, and, and then as soon as you start letting those cracks happen, then it's really right. easy to kind of come up with all kinds of excuses. Um, but, I mean, you know, you like if it's going to stress you out, you know, that's not the point. Yeah, it,
1: you know what? I think this is a, this is a useful exercise because – to me, like you said, those crap. Like once I miss a day, I'm like, well, I I lost. It's done, and I don't need to do it anymore now because I missed a day. Mm-hmm. So if I, if you could be someone who could, and this is what I always advise people to do, who can handle that sort of thing and not have that failure mentality or that perfectionist mentality, uh, that would be ideal, right? Then then you would keep your habits because you wouldn't you wouldn't yeah, fall off the absolutely. wagon. So yeah. maybe that's a, maybe it's an opportunity for me to practice that maybe, maybe, or maybe I'll get it the in.
2: Universe, maybe this is the perfect timing. The universe is telling you that now is the time to do something with this <laughs> challenge.
1: <laughs> I think that's what's going on. Yeah. Uh, good. Okay. So I'm well, in for that. I'm glad awesome. you. I'm glad you innovated that. That idea.
2: Great. I'm. I'm very excited to hear you're in for it. Is <laughs> December tomorrow or tomorrow? December
1: begins the day this podcast? No, the Friday. next day after this podcast goes live. Right. which is which is today.
2: Yes. <laughs> um yeah so i started the day after thanksgiving i went ahead and got a head start on it and, right uh, good it's going pretty well yesterday was the first day that i i was busy and just did not feel like running but made myself go out and i'm glad i did I ended up doing, that's why
1: you got the challenge
2: i know it it worked it was good it, it did it's uh it did its job
1: good all right and everyone had a good nice thanksgiving i hope i'm sure yes yep. good you Wonderful did it you did your tofurkey trot
2: did the tofurkey trot Enjoyed that with my family members. Yeah, it was good. Good. Mm-hmm. good, Had some, had some mid-run mimosas. Hey, there you go. Good. <laughs> how about you? How was how was your Thanksgiving? I
1: was very nice. It was it was. Uh, we had had a few vegetarian slash vegan neighbors come over and join us, mm-hmm. and that was awesome. fun. And my mom Great. was in town, and uh, all was very nice. Been playing a ton of FIFA eighteen with my son. Just, ah. I mean, just sinking hours and hours into that. <laughs> <laughs> But who's, it's uh, it's, an, it's an investment. Um, we've stopped playing against each other. Now we are both building our own ultimate teams, which is a conversation for another day.
2: Okay. So <laughs> you don't play against each other.
1: We did that for a while. And we kept kept track. had a big Had a big uh, score sheet uh-huh. hanging up. But then we've we've kind of gotten away from that.
2: So now you watch each other play. Is that how it works? Yeah,
1: pretty much. Okay. And we have to cheer each other on. <laughs> <laughs> Provide support.
2: Nice.
1: Uh, yeah. So anyway, so that is that. Um, so this is we're gonna get to this this interview. I'm excited about this one. Uh I guess just to just to foreshadow what's coming, we do this holiday episode every year and we're gonna do it again. The I
2: extravaganza. Yes.
1: I don't I don't need mean to hype it up, but it oh, is, I do. It, is I hype it, up. it is sometimes it's fun. What it is is basically people now and then tell us that they like the the parts of this podcast that are about nothing, right? The the Seinfeld parts of this podcast. <laughs> And, uh, that might
0: be a little generous.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I guess so. We're not, we're not Seinfeld. We know that, but but some people like when we just fool around. And uh, that that I always kind of feel badly still when we're just fooling around, chatting about things that are completely unrelated to the topic uh, of of plant based fitness. But the holiday episode is kind of one when I feel like that it's called that, so people know that that's what we're doing, and then I don't feel bad about it. This so,
2: holiday full around.
0: <laughs>
1: right. Right. So anyway, uh, if if you liked that part of the show, then then listen to the holiday one. And if you don't, then that's one to to skip, unless you want to hear really good gift ideas.
2: Yeah, because that's Which, I mean that's really the structure of it, right? As we, we that's about the about only
1: the, structural thing there is that we have we like say what guide. what our well, gifts are, yeah. or what our what our wish list is, or our gift guide for others. I can't say it's uh, mine. Mine is not doesn't change that much. It's, <laughs> it's not exactly the hippest sort
2: of list. Do you want a Kindle on that? Or do you recommend? To I, people give Kindle them? is on my buying list this year. Believe oh. it or not, not for me, but <laughs> for someone. I'm pretty else. sure it's been on every, every <laughs> list <laughs> since we started this a couple years ago. Yeah,
1: it totally is. I got some new ones though. I'm I'm, I'm excited for that episode.
2: Good, excellent. So that will be
1: good. Um, yeah. So anyway that among other things is planned for december great yes and december as i was mentioned is a good month i like it it is fun it is a time to reflect on stuff it is a time to as we've talked about last episode it's kind of get ready for uh exciting changes in january because i think i think i like the whole new year's idea and the, the just the a little push to you know look at your life make some changes do something cool not not resolution style necessarily just a chance to say hey i'm at a i'm at a new you know, signpost in the row that says I'm a year older and it's the new year and I like that. So December is always fun for me because it's sort of a step back and think about what changes are to come. So I am looking forward to that. And kind of on that topic is today's interview, which is with Dan Buettner, uh, who people may know as the author of The Blue Zones, which is a book that I reference fairly often on this podcast. I think at some point we were listing our favorite books of the year. Maybe that was maybe two years ago. And, uh, that was one of mine and that might've been three years ago, actually. I don't know, yeah, but, oh, uh, wow. it still is like that. That is one of my favorite books of the past five years, maybe more. It's just, it's just to me its such a good health book in, it's not a vegan book, but it promotes a, a you know, indirectly by, by examining these populations, these longest lived cultures in the world. Um, they all eat highly plant-based. Only one of them is actually vegetarian slash vegan, but Anyway, it, it just paints a very nice, inspiring picture that uh, I kind of aspire to. Um, so what he has now done is a book called The Blue Zones of Happiness, which you probably have seen. It's all over the place. Uh, and it is him basically taking this Blue Zones approach to the study of happiness. So with, with the original Blue Zones, he looked at where do people live the longest and how can we change our habits to be more like those people. With Blue Zones of Happiness, he kind of dives in to the science and the study of happiness, which is really a, a blossoming thing, I would say, in the past 10 years. Uh, and then from there, kind of finds what are the happiest areas in the world, and then looks at those areas and looks at, you know, kind of paints little portraits or profiles of different people in those spots, and it has this little narrative style to it that makes it very enjoyable to read. Um, and and just basically acts the same thing. How can we take their Ha- the habit the habits that make them happy how can we take those and apply those to our own lives even if we don't live in those happiest areas so uh that is all very compelling recipe for a smash hit book as far as i'm concerned and uh <laughs> i was i was really excited to interview him
2: yeah once again this is another interview that i was not on and haven't yet listened to so i as i edit this i'm excited to, i'm excited to listen along with
1: those yeah things. it was it was so it, i feel, I may have sent this on the podcast before every time i listen to a tim ferris podcast which honestly i haven't done in a, a year or more because they're too long but i used to <laughs> uh he would always say like uh oh, started out kind of it took me a while to get my feet under me on this one i was kind of nervous and then by the end it really came together so i feel like that on this one i feel like it just it just i don't it was it, i was nervous talking to the guy i'm not really usually nervous for these things uh but for whatever reason, talking to Dan Butner, I was nervous. Probably because I like the Blue Zone so much, and I've talked about it so much. Uh, I, I had a little, little nervous, no shaky voice or anything. But I could have used you, Doug. I could have used you on here to kind of be another guy in my corner. Like when me and my son play FIFA, I could, I could have used you <laughs> at least watching over my shoulder while I interviewed. <laughs>
2: Well, next time you gotta you gotta let me know, and I'll just come and just watch. I can just dial
1: you up on Skype, and you can just watch that way.
2: Yeah, there you go. That's a good idea.
1: <laughs> maybe hold up a little banner or something for me, like like a, like my son and I do.
2: <laughs> every time, every time, uh, every time you ask a good question, I put up some clapping emojis.
1: Yeah, have like a little yeah or a, a drum. Yeah, maybe there you go. just like a soccer fan.
2: Like a soccer fan. Just get your face. You're painted. really yeah. going on the FIFA route. I was kind of <laughs> yeah. going a different direction here, but. <laughs> It's whoa, all I can whoa, think whoa.
1: about. It's, uh, it's my whole... It, it's my world right now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> all right. Well, that's that's good. That is good. Um,
1: okay. So, anyway, I wanted to um, mention one more thing about this interview that was... And I, I'm kind of blanking on it. I'm just going to start talking, and it will come to me. At the end, I asked him... <laughs> oh, it was about habits. Yes. It was about <laughs> habit change and New Year's stuff. Because, okay. that, because at the end, we kind of... So, he we go in... You know into legitimate stuff and and by and large the message was that there aren't a lot of there aren't a lot of little hacks you can do for your happiness that like i think we want to with the internet we read blog posts and it says here's here's what you can do to be happier today and you can start meditating or you can start exercise or you can you know make a new resolution that you're going to do this so at the end it we got that message that that it's more about um you know, putting yourself in an environment of, of positivity or a place where it's kind of easy, but there's lots of social engagement and walking, uh, rather than kind of this living in a box like a lot of us do. And at the end, I kind of said like, okay, I get all that. What, the, like, it's New Year's time, or it's kind of heading that direction. What people are going to want to make resolutions. Hopefully, be inspired by this interview. Uh, like, what what's the easy stuff that someone could do and say? I want to improve my happiness by by five percent with this resolution this change i'm going to make i said should they start exercising should they start meditating and he basically said he said no he said that stuff is a, is a is a a recipe for failure basically like he said those those habits they don't stick for almost anybody and what you can do is move and get yourself into an environment like move as in move your location uh <laughs> and get yourself into an environment where you where you can walk around your neighborhood and say hi to neighbors as you're doing that um you know mentioned other, other things and but like other things that that were of a similar nature like hard things to change really um, just because they're, they're big changes. and he j- he just was very down on the idea of someone and I hope I'm interpreting this right I don't, I don't mean to like misinterpret it and, and say that that Dan Butner is saying we shouldn't try to create an exercise habit, but he just seemed very pessimistic about the odds of making that happen. Almost. And I wonder if that has come from the study that what he's done It just has, if he's looked into that sort of stuff at at the odds of making a habit like that last. So Hmm. I found it interesting. And I it just made me realize the import because you could look, let's say you could look at statistics and say that, you know, 85% of people who try to create a fitness habit or a meditation habit fail. But that That's probably the people or many of those people are people who've never considered how do you change a habit, right? It's just people who do what comes naturally to us which is to try to make this massive change at once like we always talk about and that usually is doomed to fail. So it just got me kind of interested and excited thinking about like how could we apply everything we know about about habits, how could we apply that? Like what if the point of that was create new happiness and I want, or create more happiness and I want to build habits around that uh, and I want to approach them from the whole habit change perspective, not just diving into stuff. So I don't know. I'm, I'm quite excited now to read the book. I've skimmed through it only just to prepare for the interview, but uh, I'm really looking forward to, to reading the whole thing and just sort of thinking about that, wondering how, how the science of habit change can be applied to uh, to the science of happiness. I love it. Good. I'm glad you do, Doug. You're going <laughs> to enjoy the interview. I am.
2: I'm very much so. Once you get warmed up, I think it'll be a little boring. Once I get my feet under me. Yeah. <laughs> no, just. Kidding. All right. Good. All right. Well, let's just let's just move right into the interview. Okay. Let's. Hey everyone, Matt Fraser
1: here with Dan Buettner, author of the Blue Zones and more recently the Blue Zones of Happiness. Dan, it's such an honor to talk to you. I, I recommend uh, the Blue Zones to just about anyone who will listen. It is probably my favorite. Uh, you know, health slash diet book of the past five years, and uh, it's just such. It just paints such a really nice, beautiful, inspiring picture uh, of what it is to to be healthy. So, thank you for for that work, and thank you for joining us here at Nomad Athlete Radio.
0: Well, it's an honor, and
1: thank you for such a nice
0: introduction.
1: Sure. So, like I said, I've talked about the Blue Zones a lot of times. Um, most of the time in in this interview, we'll talk about happiness and and you know, turning this Blue Zones approach on not not This time, the idea of health and longevity, but instead, what does it take to make us happy? Um, But as as for background, can you talk about, just for those who don't know, what what is this Blue Zones philosophy that, that you are now turning to happiness?
0: Well, over the past 15 years for National Geographic, I've developed a bit of an expertise at finding the most extraordinary populations, measurable populations, and then distilling their lessons. So the first series of books, Blue Zones, uh, Nine Lessons for Living Longer from the People of the Longest, and the Blue Zone Solution, which is eating and living like the world's longest-lived people. We found areas where people either have the highest life expectancies or the lowest rate of middle age mortality populations, and then found uh, uh, explanations or common denominators between the five. And for this Blue Zones of Happiness, we took a similar approach except found the statistically happiest places in the world. And these places are happy for different measurable or in different measurable ways and then tried to the, once again tease out the the correlations which offer us some some lessons for, for being happy ourselves.
1: And so when you say that you kinda of become an expert at that, um are you a statistician? Like, is, is that sort of, or, or that type of researcher? Is that your background? Uh, as I mentioned, the, the books are just so, like, it just paints such a nice picture. And I, I'm wondering, are you more of a, of a writer and the person who kind of, um, you know, makes this all looks nice and presents it to people? Or are you the one who's, who's designing the research and, and uh, you know, coming up with the methodology and all that?
0: Well, I I have about a decade of experience of running large scientific expeditions, so I'm good at knowing enough about the scientists and then put together a collaborative team. So in the case of the Blue Zones for Happiness, I partnered with the World Database of Happiness and Gallup uh, here in the United States and tapped into a ocean of data, 155 surveys done in 155 countries, a universalized survey that's yielded literally tens of millions of data points. And then through my affiliation with National Geographic, we were able to commission these databases to find out, to help us dis- determine what what explains happiness. So to, just, just to put a finer point on this, So the way the surveys work is they ask people how happy they are in three different ways, how they evaluate their lives, how they experience their lives day to day, and their level of purpose. And then about 65 other questions about their demographics, their characteristics, and their way they live their life. And through this statistical manipulation called regression analysis, you can find out what sorts of things accompany each of these different kinds of happiness. And then for both the book and this National Geographic cover story, uh, I asked the databases to tell us where in the world these three types of happiness are best manifest. And I traveled there. So, so sort of armed with the statistical understanding of what drives happiness, and then layering on top of that investigative journalism, I was able to find a representative character in a representative place and tell a story. But... Um, woven into that story is, are the scientific underpinnings and I think if you read either the book or the article, you get a pretty good idea of oh, okay, I get it I can do that in my life
1: Got it, so in the book you, you talk <clears throat> about uh, the three P's, and those are those uh, who haven't read it are pleasure, purpose, and pride um, Can you talk a little bit about, about each of those and how those, those are you know, the big, major influencing factors yeah. that you've found for happiness?
0: So academically speaking, happiness is a meaningless term because you can't measure happy. It's subjective. It's amorphous. But scientists can measure life satisfaction, which is uh, measured by asking people on a scale of 1 to 10, uh, 1 being your worst imaginable life, 10 being your best imaginable life. Overall, can you rate your life satisfaction? And although that will vary from person to person, when you when you ask a representative sample of 1,500 or 2,000 people, that averages out the outliers and you get a pretty good read on a population. It's accurate. Um, and I call that the pride. You know, I've simplified the academic term. So instead of life satisfaction, I call it pride. It's really how proud you are of your life. And then for pleasure the academic term is positive affect and that's measured by asking people to remember the last 24 hours which you can do pretty accurately and how much you smiled and laughed and felt happy and felt worry and felt stress etc and uh, that once again gives you another read but uh, how you experience your life and how you evaluate your life are often at odds with each other for example this afternoon, you might want to sit on the couch and, or sit on your porch and drink beer. And that might, be the, the, might give you the most pleasure today. But when you look back on your day, you might not be all that proud of it. So um, different things drive different kinds of happiness. And then that third domain is purpose, which is measured by are you, are you able to use your strengths to do what you do best every day? And that's a question also asked in many many countries. So I can uh, correlate what what drives uh, what what life characteristics also drive purpose. Uh, so then you know I argue at the end of the day that if you want maximum happiness in the same way your financial manager will suggest you you have a balanced portfolio uh, in your retirement account, I will re- suggest that when it comes to happiness that you have a balanced portfolio between, uh, daily pleasure, uh, overall satisfaction with your life or pride, and then, uh, a a generous dose of, of purpose, um, pervading the, the whole picture.
1: Got it. And in the book, you talk about all kinds of specific, um, you know, things, factors that go into each of those that would, that would increase or decrease any one of those. Um, as I was reading those three Ps, I, I wanted you to, to, or I kept kind of looking for the word place, a fourth p uh, and, and wondered you know does does being in a perfect place fit into this um, And my guess is that that's is that your place is going to influence those three things and that's why it's not its own separate thing. But uh, you know you said that you found the places where people were happy and then went to those uh, How important is it like is it how hard is it to be happy in a place that is unhappy? How can you on an individual level, can you, can you still sort of do your best to maximize purpose, pride, and pleasure? uh, Or are you kind of, kind of screwed if you're just in the wrong place?
0: Well, I argue that if, uh, if you're unhappy and you want to get happier, you live in an unhappy place, the most powerful thing you can do is move to a happier place. So here's what's clear and, and uh, I'll get to your question, but uh, if you, people who try to change their behaviors with positive psychology techniques like savoring or appreciation or gratitude or positivity, you know, these things work in the short run. As long as you're paying attention, you have the discipline or the presence of mind to do them every day, they work. But the, the way the human brain is wired for novelty, we run out of attention and we, um, new things come across our radar. We stop doing them. As soon as we stop doing these things, their their happiness effect goes away. But looking at people's surroundings or their, their environment, you can see, statistically speaking, the things, the characteristics of that environment more likely to yield happiness. For example, you're more likely to uh, be happy if you live in a place where there's sunshine. They call it a sun bonus. It's worth about a 2% bump. If you control for everything else, living next to water, it's about a 5% bump. Uh, living in a walkable and bikeable place is about a 10% bump living very close to green spaces, about an 8% bump. So if you start stacking up all these, um, so, so we call them aces in your deck, you're more likely to be happy. And because they're permanent characteristics of your surroundings, they're going to ex- exert that positive effect on your emotions, your purpose, your, your life satisfaction every day without you thinking about it. So my approach for happiness is, that, you know, if you try to make yourself happier, that's a recipe for neurosis. But if you either, A, move to a place that's uh, statistically happier, or as my book kind of outlines, uh, shaping your surroundings, you can stack the deck in favor of happiness.
1: Hmm. Really interesting because it does seem like all it is all the rage these days. Um, as, as this study of happiness has, has become, uh, just popular, the positive psychology thing is, has kind of reached a, a mainstream. Um, it seems that that's, that it is kind of about techniques to try to, you know, savor things or, uh, you know, do specific things in, in the here and now to make yourself happier. Uh, and I do want to ask you about a few of those things, but before that, um, you mentioned in the book you say I think in in one of the just one of the lines you say is something about like happiness has changed a lot since 2010. And I believe what you were referring to there is just that basically that the stud we've learned a whole lot about it since then. Um, and and I kind of think that is around the time when it, it was really hot for a little while. There was there was the um, the Happiness Project, the Geography of Bliss, Stumbling Upon Happiness, which a lot of people read all these books and got into this. And we learned, like I, I kind of felt like from that, we learned a few basic things, like the idea that, that money makes you happier up to a certain point, and once you can survive, then it kind of doesn't really matter that much, um, or the idea that there's this band of happiness that we're all sort of genetically predisposed to, and we can do our best to maximize where we are in that, but we can't make major changes. Um, but when you say things have, have changed since then, or we've learned more since then, what, like, what is new? What, What do we know beyond what? what was kind of made popular the ideas made popular in in those books are there new things that that you know we now know about how we can be happier
0: well you mentioned the seventy five thousand dollar so there's the life satisfaction and then there's positive affect or day-to-day emotion so that seventy five thousand dollar number is applied specifically to positive affect or how we experience our life from day to day in other words Making more than seventy-five thousand dollars a year, on average in America, is not going to add better daily emotion. But when it comes to life satisfaction, uh, happiness continues to grow. And in fact, mil- billionaires have more life satisfaction than millionaires. So we we have we can put a finer point on. Uh, what happiness is and what different things drive the componentry of happiness. Um, having a child, for example, really great for life satisfaction. You know, we tend to f- fulfill our values or our biological imperatives by having a child and, and that goes up, the life satisfaction, but daily affect, positive affect goes down. You know, when you're you know, elbow deep in a dirty diaper, and the baby's crying, you're not sleeping enough, and, and your finances are stressed and your relationship is strained. Um, having a kid isn't, isn't very clear. You know, now, that's true in the United States. In Denmark, which was one of the places I profiled in my book and this National Geographic article, there, both types of happiness increases when you have a child because there's all kinds of environmental uh, factors in place in Denmark. For example, people tend to live close to neighbors and and, um, um, a mother gets 10 months off to make sure the infant gets a good start in life and there's free health care for everybody. So you're not worried about paying for your baby's checkups or what happens if my baby gets sick. And education is free through college so you're not struggling trying to save money for college so to realize that where you live and the policies in place are driving your happiness more so than anything you can make up your mind to do um, is a really important insight on on uh, the bigger picture of happiness
1: yeah that that really is interesting and uh i guess hints at at uh you know, the value of your surroundings and, and really the value of, of other people and connection, um, which was, which was highlighted in, in the blue zones when it was about longevity. Um, you know, that, that you, you can, you can do so much about changing your diet and all the things, but as far as, uh, you know, you, you're not going to achieve all of it through diet. There's stuff that, that is uh, part of your, your environment that is very important. Um, so that, that's interesting. I think, I guess what I've kind of taken away from that is that, uh, in the, the pre twenty ten sort of happiness rage. It was all about. Uh, it seemed that what everyone was talking about was daily affect. Because because what I learned then was that uh, you know kids make you less happy in the short term. And this uh, this idea about the the seventy five thousand dollar baseline. But it seems that you're now going deeper in in looking at other uh, factors like this life satisfaction thing. Um, Let's see. So, I wanted to ask you about uh, just a few more specifics. Actually, children was one of them because uh, we, my co-host and I, each have kids, and we tend to talk about children a little bit on this podcast. Um, a couple other other hot topics, and I don't honestly expect you to, to know uh, right offhand what what these these effects on happiness are. But if you do, then even uh, if
0: I don't, I'll make up something <laughs> perfect. convincing.
1: Perfect. Um, <laughs> good. So, so actually, children. My question was social media and digital. I'm I'm a, a, a staunch advocate of you know absolutely minimizing that stuff i only just got a smartphone um but my my job has kind of eventually now forced me to to have it so uh, i don't know what what's the effect of social media and digital
0: so on our website um we have this true happiness test and the data is anonymized we don't know who you are but but we ask a question about social media and we ask a few questions about happiness these three different kinds of happiness the, by the way, the true happiness is fr- test is free, and I can't encourage you to take it at bluezones.com. But we know that people take the test uh, in correlating uh, how much social media they use every day and their happiness. That The happiest people seem to be using social media between zero and 45 minutes a day. And then after that, happiness drops, and it kind of falls off a cliff, so... We can see it one hour, two hours, three hours, all the way down to eight hours, and the least happy people are using social media more than eight hours. So my interpretation of that is uh, if you're using 45 minutes for a little bit of intellectual repose or to connect with some friends, ideally to make connections in the real world, social media is probably a plus, Um But if you're doing it at the expense, and this same, the statistics are about the same for TV watching. The ideal is about an hour or tops. Um, if you're, if you're, if you're engaging too much with your electronics at the, at the expense of face-to-face social interaction or getting the physical activity you need or, or, um, pursuing your passions or volunteering, quite honestly, or be hanging out with your family, uh, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice.
1: Gotcha. And so, um, you know, you mentioned exercise in there. Um, aside from that making you healthier and happier because you are healthy. And I I do want to ask you about that, that overlap. Um, what impact does exercise have on, on happiness?
0: Well, it's across the board positive. Okay. So the endorphins you're going to get from them are going to give you a better daily experience and staying in shape makes you more proud of yourself or i.e. higher life satisfaction. Uh, people who are obese are 11% less likely to be happy hmm. than uh, people who are of regular weight. So exercise is going to figure into that. Even we know, and I know you're big on, on plants, people who are eating five to seven servings of fruits and vegetables a day are about 20% happier than those who are, are not getting those foods in their diet. So um, and and is help. that something
1: in your methods? Like, do you try to tease that apart from saying like, you know, okay, this stuff might make someone healthier for and that's going to then impact their happiness and try to control for that and say, well, what about those who aren't any healthier? Are they still happier? Or Or are you just kind of looking at it more holistically than that and saying, if you eat food and it makes you healthier and that health makes you happier, then, you know, that's good enough for us.
0: Well, for health and happiness, it's a two- way street. They favor each other, and you almost can't pull the two apart so, for example, on a uh, if you can manage your life to be in the top 20 percent of the happiest people in a population in America uh, as opposed to the lowest 20 percent, that's worth about eight years of life expectancy hmm. and um yeah so happiness is driving health, and then at the same time, if you're healthy um, you have normal weight and eating the right fruits and vegetables and sleeping right you're a lot more likely to be happy so um, both of them belong in the same sentence when people are dispensing advice sure
1: right is that i mean are, are there any other is there any other overlap in in the lessons that you've learned from the blue zones, you know, treating longevity and the blue zones, treating happiness. Uh, or is that pretty much, does that pretty much sum it up that, that you just can't take them apart. And when, when you do things that will increase your longevity, you're doing things that increase your happiness and vice versa.
0: So Costa Rica is home to the blue zone area of Nicoya longest lived people. And it's also home to the happiest people in Cartago. And that's not a coincidence. It's because the leaders of Costa Rica 100 years ago, when the other Central American countries were run by uh, dictators and, and military strongmen, teachers were running Costa Rica, and they put policies in place that educated girls, made sure all kids had, were able to read about 97% literacy even in the 20s, um, so mothers were more educated, who had fewer children, who were better educated, healthier, grew up to be good parents themselves and more productive, elected better leaders. And it started this upward spiral of well-being that has elevated Costa Rica to where it is, is um, both a place of, of happiness, but also along the way, they realized, which our country hasn't realized yet, that... Um, public health is a much better social investment than quote-unquote health care, which is basically in this country, wait for people to get sick and then spend um, hundreds of thousands or millions to try to reverse the disease after it's a 911 alarm. So Costa Rica, every man, woman, and child in the entire country gets one visit a year from a nurse practitioner who come knock on your door and check in on you, check your blood pressure, screen you for depression or high blood pressure or diabetes, and they catch a disease before it's a big problem. And for free or near free, we'll, 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 help, you, um, um, we'll help you deal with it um, before it's, uh, um, it's not only destroying your health but destroying your happiness too.
1: And so you mentioned that you said our in our country that we haven't really caught on to that, but obviously the the data is there, and I mean you're you're shining light on it. Um, is it honestly that people don't realize it, or is it is it? And I don't expect you to get all conspiracy theory here, but is it is it the system? Is something is something, you know, there that prevents that from from being you know the same way it is with food that we that we kind of don't uh, do preventative medicine? Is yeah, well. Just-
0: in this so in Costa Rica it's the government and they're interested in health outcomes in this country the incentives are misaligned so nobody makes money in this country unless you get sick uh the economics of healthcare rely on uh, people getting a prescription for some disease that's how pharmaceutical companies make money Or go to the hospital and rent a bed and buy services. That's how hospitals stay afloat. Or go to the doctor and get procedures. And it really doesn't matter if the doctor cures you or kills you. uh, He or she gets paid the same. So Jack Welsh famously pointed out the folly of hoping for A and incenting for B. Mm. We hope for health, but we incent for sickness. And our whole healthcare system—you um, know—for no matter what kind of uh, whitewash you see on, on on web pages of these companies, they're real. They're in business to make money, and they make money when you get sick. So it's not a coincidence that this country is getting sick to the tune of three trillion dollars a year.
1: Interesting. And, and in the book, you, you do have a section that is, or a chapter that is lessons for leaders. And when I came across that, I, I found it interesting. I was thinking why, you know, when, when people leading countries and states and governments, uh, you know, are a, such a small portion of the population, why include a whole chapter that is for leaders? But uh, now I see the importance of that. And, and I, I would imagine that when you do that, you're, you're trying to educate the general public so that they can, they can ask this of their leaders and, and, you know,
0: get their leaders to care about this sort of thing. So there's no such thing as a happy place. And, you know, a lot of Americans go to Africa or Latin America and they see uh, smiling, playing kids in the street and they receive hospitality and say, oh, these people have such a simple life, they're happy. That's a myth. Wherever there's a happy place, whether it's Singapore, Denmark, Sa- San Luis Obispo, Boulder, Colorado, uh, it's because there were light, enlightened leaders. There's a clear genesis of it, of, of Leaders choosing, basically shifting from uh, just economic growth and development, which is, as you pointed out earlier, is important when places are poor, but not really important when places are rich, and shifting that to public health, to better education, to notions of equality, um, to uh, allow people uh, freedom to live out their values, so uh, and then trust, policies of trust. So for this National Geographic uh, article and and the book, uh, Blue Zones of Happiness, I got a grant from Geographic to recruit 18 of the world's top happiness experts. And we ran something called the Delphi method, which is a consensus um, uh, process by which we uh, got the best ideas for policies for leaders to adopt to create healthy um, populations. And then we rank them for effectiveness and feasibility. And the book goes through and says, well, you know, if you're, if Donald Trump is really interested in making America great again, and my definition of making America great again is making us happy as Thomas Jefferson said was the charge of a leader, then he ought to be paying attention to what really delivers happiness. And we now statistically know it. And, um, it's no surprise that not many of these things are happening.
1: <laughs> right. So, because a lot of that is kind of, you know, maybe not out of our control or out of our, totally out of our influence, but it's, but it's harder to control than, um, you know, the things in your immediate environment that, that you can affect, um, you know, like your, your personal habits and behaviors and things like that. Um, just to kind of wrap up, you know, if given all that you now know about happiness, all these tiny little factors and what, you know, the percentages that they'll increase your happiness by, like what? What are the easy like? What's the low hanging fruit that someone could take from this and say, you know, I'm gonna do these three or five different things. Let's say as we do approach the new year, like I'm gonna try to make my life about these things in the next year. Um, short of you know, totally changing your environment or, or getting our leaders to change things. Um, like what on, on a personal level? Like, is it take up exercise? Is it is it start meditation? I don't I don't think you know, it's have
0: kids. <laughs> exercise is a failure. Most. Meditation, unless you're going to really get serious and learn it, is not worth your effort. Hmm. Um, Exercise is an unmitigated failure. Fewer than 15% of Americans get enough exercise. Uh, If you really want to do something to get happier, you move to a walkable neighborhood uh, where it's easy to get to know the neighbors and you're close to parks and you're close to places of worship and you're close to um, uh, places where you can get healthy food. That's going to drive your behaviors more than anything you make up your mind to do on New Year's resolutions, which you'll forget about by June. So a few things you can do. Every new happy friend you add to your immediate net, uh, social network improves your own happiness by 15%. So uh, finding uh, uh, adding one or two people who you like, who you can have a meaningful conversation with, who you who you can call on a bad day, and who are generally happy to begin with. That's going to be contagious and its long term. Uh, If you're sleeping less than about six and a half hours a day, you're probably 30% less happy day in and day out than you would be if you're sleeping more than seven and a half hours. So setting up your bedroom, making sure it gets really dark, setting the thermostat at 61 degrees right around there or maybe a little lower, um, pulling electronics out of your bedroom, Uh, really setting your bedroom up so you're more likely to get that good night's sleep. That's going to make seven and a half hours or more, going to make a big difference. Getting a dog, uh, dog owners report uh, higher levels of well-being, and they also report about half the rate of obesity as non-dog owners because dogs need to get walked every day, and therefore humans get walked every day. So those are three dependable long-term things you can do to, to stack stack the deck in favor of happiness,
1: mm-hmm. and, and would you say, from based on what you know, that that long term that, that we do need to think longer term than than maybe most people do, because it does seem like just so much of the advice, you know, e- even my tendency was to say, like, you know, should we take up meditation and, and hope to be happier next week because of that? Is it is the long term where where we need to focus?
0: Yes, because, well, I mean, you can be happy for a little while, but there are the aforementioned thing that I just suggested, especially moving. You you will unconsciously become happier by just living your life. So, blues, hmm. the blue zones of happiness. There's a, a a few chapters that just tell you how to look at your home, your financial life, your work life, your inner life, uh, and the components of a city. And with statistically driven suggestions, tell you exactly how to set up your life so you're more happy. To, you're more likely to be happy in each of those domains.
1: Very cool. I am looking forward to diving into that uh dan it has been a pleasure to have you on anyone listening to this check out the blue zones of happiness uh as far as i know it is everywhere books are sold because i saw it in the airport the other day and not all that many books make it to our small little airport in nashville so i'm assuming it is everywhere um you've got the national geographic cover story and you mentioned bluezones.com where uh you can take the what is it the happiness quiz
0: True happiness test it's called good for for free gotcha
1: all right. Well, Dan, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a pleasure for me. As I said, I'm such a fan of your work and uh, looking forward to, to reading this book and seeing what you do next.
0: Well, let me just say the fandom goes both ways and I appreciate you spreading the plant-based message because it's something our world needs. So I'm saluting you from Minnesota.
1: <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Dan. All right. I'll talk idea. to see you soon. All right. Bye. Okay, so that was Dan Buettner, author of The Blue Zones of Happiness, a book I am very, very excited to dive into, and uh, a guy whose whose work I really, really do like. Again, (laughs) I I always say this, but if you want something cool to read as we head into this inspiration-driven part of the year for me, check out The Blue Zones. Check out Blue Zones of Happiness. They're good. Good?
2: Good. Good. And before we head out, Matt, I think we should take a second to thank uh, the No Meat Athlete Tribe members for uh, all the support. It's been so cool having this tribe going, and it's growing every week, and uh, we're, I don't know, I'm just really grateful for this community.
1: Yeah, I am too. Absolutely happy that it is growing and that uh, people are stepping up and uh, enabling us to make this show without running ads, which I think is is a nice little touch. Uh, we are going to be doing our next hangout for members, where you and I get on there at night, may or may not crack open beers, but it is totally permissible if we choose to do so. Uh, and so, uh, same goes for the for the tribe members who are in attendance. Um, so we'll be scheduling that for early ne- or sometime next week. And uh, if you'd like to get in to get to join that hangout and get all the other good stuff that comes with tribe membership, not least of which is knowing that you are supporting this show and helping us keep the lights on, keep the mics on. Uh, for the price of coffee each month, price of one cup of coffee each month, uh, then check out nomadathlete.com tribe. That's
2: right. All right, thanks everybody for listening, and we will see you next week. All right, talk to you soon.